Expensive coats are all the rage for the anti-capitalist Conacom. I'm Adrian Slade. It's the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Hey, what are you going to wear to the globalist Conicom? The big convention on engineering the entire globalist union by the world elites. Um, I think I'm going to go to Davos and I'm going to wear a $1,000 plus coat. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, this is actually from the New York Times. This is the coat to wear to Davos. The top coats made by Norwegian wool, as warm as your bulkiest puffer. And they've become the favorite of financiers, news anchors, and the movie crowd. All the people that want the global union, that the United States will be the California of the United Nations of Davos. Yeah, this is from the article. Seven years ago, when Michael Berkowitz, 34, was a physical commodities trader in New York, he found that the best time to talk to his busy boss was on walks. Quote, if he was going to a nearby meeting and I needed a FaceTime with him, I would walk with him there, Berkowitz said. In the winter, though, he faced a dilemma. Mr. Berkowitz always believed in the power of dressing. Your height, your voice, that's out of your control, he said. But the way you dress is in your control, and people judge you based on it. He had two winter coats. One was puffy, and he said, it made me look like I was going on an Arctic mission. Probably a North Face jacket. The other was form-fitting, chic, and powerful, but left him freezing and feeling under the weather for the rest of the day. Why, he wondered... Couldn't he find a coat that had the warmth and performance features of his ski jacket with the tailoring and design of his wool coat? After much research, he figured out the problem. Fashion designers in Italy, who also side with Iran, were where it's not especially cold, made the most beautiful coats, he said. But they thought temperatures in the high 40s were unbearable. The highest performing coats were coming out of northern climates like Canada and Scandinavia. The liberal socialist bastion where designers cared much more about function. I was like, quote, we need to mix those things, he said. Norwegian wool was born. In 2014, the company's first winter, Mr. Berkowitz sold 100 coats in two different styles in a few specialty stores across the Northeast. Now he sells 39 styles in more than 100 stores in North America and Europe, including Saks, Bloomingdale's, and Neiman Marcus. The company added a woman's line in September 2020, along with a more casual sports jacket for men. Would it be a woman's line, or would it be a... Women that might have penises and men that might have vaginas line. I don't know. Who knows anymore? But apparently there's a line made for them. All items 
cost $1,000 to $3,000. What's more, Norwegian wool has become a fast favorite of financers, television anchors, movie stars. The CNBC Squawk Box host, Joe Kernan, presented live from the World Economic Forum in Davos in his Patrick Dempsey coat. (laughs) Unbelievable. Patrick Dempsey was wearing one around the fridge in New York City while he filmed his series Ways and Means. Richard Sharp, the chairman of the BBC and former Goldman Sachs banker, bought two for his sons, now 28 and 26, and invested in the company after he tried on his first coat. Quote, my son, who was in New York City, wore it all winter, even though he is very anti-materialistic, anti-capitalist, he said, it's discreet enough. Okay, back that up. Richard Sharp, chairman of the BBC, former Goldman Sachs banker. His two sons are anti-materialistic, anti-capitalist, but yet bought $1,000 to $3,000 coats. Josh Berger, the departing president of Warner Brothers UK, Ireland, and Spain, is also hooked. When I'm on set and wearing my midnight blue Norwegian wool coat and everyone else seems to be wearing their oversized puffer, I have to say, I think my version looks a whole lot better. While Mr. Berkowitz customers may be testing out their coats at 10 Downing Street, the British Prime Minister's residence where Mr. Sharp, remember that guy, and his two sons wore his to a meeting. Someone there told me I looked younger in it, he said. The Norwegian wool founder tried out his first one-in-a-walk-in freezer section of the fairway market in 125th Street in Manhattan. I spent about 20 minutes pacing back and forth in it. In early 2015, Mr. Bergowitz quit his job in finance to focus on his new company. Before that, he used all his vacation days trying to create the perfect winter jacket. He traveled to Norway to, to meet with experts from outerwear companies as well as fashion design students in Oslo. The students taught him how to angle pockets so that the hands had that extra four inches to slide in and get cozy. It also means that wrist will not stick out and get cold. It's basically a pocket that emulates a glove, he said. It has a narrow entrance and gets wider and wider. He also learned how to create collars that zip from the chest area and have a separate flap. That technique creates high necks so you don't feel as if you're being choked. But are signatures all of Norwegian wool products? Um, They seem to be. In Tuscany, about an hour outside Florence, he hired a factory with a head designer named Giles Solard, who was both an expert in making luxury products, but also half Norwegian, and he's used to the cold. When I first met Michael... He told me he wanted a stylish thing that didn't take away from the technical thing that was vi- and vice versa. Mr. Solard said with some clients, it takes a while to understand their vision, but I got this one right away. Together, they ironed out technical details. How do you fill a coat with down, but make it extra wide or but not make it extra wide? How do you fully waterproof a coat without compromising the softness of the material? Which types of buttons and zippers and claps can withstand wind gust and at the top of a mountain, but also look sophisticated enough for a board meeting? 
Mr. Solard remembers long conversations about emergency hoods that could be hidden in collars. They figured out how to bond jersey cashmere on the inside of a traditional fold-away nylon hood. That meant that it would be soft but still lean enough to be to compromise the shape of the collar. The company also placed a lot of emphasis on fabrics. I remember at the beginning, we were using a fabric that was wool, but normal wool, he said. Now we're up to 100% cashmere, 100% silk, and the warm silk for the winter, that is really, really good. Mr. Sharp, an early investor in the company, is optimistic about the brand because it hasn't spent much money on marketing. This is the same guy with the two kids who are anti- capitalist where this guy designed a coat using Norwegian wool wool because it's going to help him in the winter better than the Italians did. And then he's going to turn around (laughs) and he's going to engineer it further research and development capitalism. Sorry. Um, He's going to develop it further so that hoods can be, you know, not noticeable. All of this is capitalism. And this is while they're going to Davos, the World Economic Forum, Davos. Davos is the geek club of world elites. George Soros, Warren Buffett, Richard Branson. Uh, What's his name? Schwab, the Schwab guy. The, this is where they're trying to set the Great Reset. This is where they want to redo the global economy off the backs of coronavirus, COVID-19. This is where they want to build a stakeholder capitalism similar to a Chinese model where companies exist, but the government holds them up. The government has a share in its operation, which is great for the company because the government will prop it up. Can we think post office? Can we think GM? Can we think Amtrak? Your public school system? They all run in the red. They all don't have an income statement that shows that they're making profit. And just like Rush Limbaugh said, the Senate cafeteria runs in the red. None of these entities make profit. They run in the red. So if you are Amazon and you have a government stakeholder, you have a government share or a government interest in your company, well, there's two things that happen. Let's let's take, for example, Costco. So Costco decides it's going to allow the government to basically have an investment in its company because that's what would happen in China. And what would happen if Costco suddenly was running bad margins? Maybe $15 an hour labor is killing their bottom line and they can't keep up because that's what they're doing now. They're implementing that. Well, then government tax, government's going to grab taxpayer money and bail it out. So no risk of failure there. But if government can also prop you up so you can implement $15 an hour, well, then the wholesale goods, uh, Mr. Johnson's wholesale goods down the street, who is your competitor on a small business level, well, he can't hire people at $15 an hour. 
So he goes out of business. So government allows Costco to take Mr. Johnson's customers. All of a sudden, they got more market share and no risk of failure. That's a freaking win-win. But let's get back to the story. So uh, Mr. Sullard remembers long conversations about emergency hoods and what have you. Blah, blah, blah. It's already, oh, it's Mr. Sharp now, an early investor with his two kids who hate capitalism. Um, he's optimistic about the brand. You know, <laughs> it, it already sells without much branding behind it. So not a lot of marketing expense, a very capitalist approach, right? Even though you hate capitalism, like the Salesforce guy who went to the World Economic Forum and said, capitalism is dead. Mr. Sharp, an early investor, in, well, we already went through that. Karen Alberg Grossman, the editor of Mr. Magazine, remembers an early marketing campaign. Quote, I saw ads for Norwegian wool on the walls of the Metro North commuter train, she said. They were terrific ads of men looking like they were going to their jobs in these elegant coats. They stood out, she said, because not a lot of fashion companies, especially high-enders, advertised on the wall of a train. One question hangs over the future of Norwegian wool. The coats are designed to be worn over business suits. But will anyone even be wearing those after the pandemic? Mr. Berkowitz will tell you that he already has one thing he needs to grow. An abundance of cold weather across the country, especially in New York City. Huh, maybe he should allow emissions to emanate so we could have global cooling climate change then you can wear your Norwegian wool coat to Davos. These people are frauds. Everything about them is frauds. Look at this. Mr. Berkowitz will tell you he already has one thing he needs to grow, an abundance of cold weather across the country, especially in New York City. Let's just say my four-year-old daughter and I look out the window when it snows with the same smile on our faces. He said, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. That's what you're wearing to Davos? And your four-year-old is saying, let it snow, let it snow, because you're going to sell more coats. Um, maybe you need to allow wind turbines and uh, solar pa power to overrun a state like Texas. So they'll go out and buy your freaking Norwegian wool coats because that's what you're doing. You're engaging in capital, crony capitalism right there. You're looking at conditions that dictate your market and you're going, oh, I hope for those conditions. Problem is with real capitalists, with conservative capitalists, we don't. We might sell winter coats, but we don't hope Texas is going to be bombarded with a freeze that's going to kill their energy source and allow people to not be able to drink potable water and also have deaths of people that are freezing to sell our product. That's not how we roll. That's how they roll because they don't look at people as people. They look at people as evil. They look, it's the, it's the thing that goes back to the beginning of it all. It, it, it's conservatives look at people with their liberal progressive ideas and we go, man, those people are just misguided. They look at us as conservatives, as we are evil people that cannot be reconciled and must be eliminated. And so what ends up happening you know, I love, I, I listen to this show, Sonny's Corner on Patriot, uh, Sirius X and Patriot. She comes to conservatism from an angle that no one else does because 
She is a black woman who came to conservatism not too long ago, but she has an angle on it that wasn't she wasn't brought in by typical conservative means. No Rush Limbaugh, no Fox News, none of that. She it was all based on the principles. Life, liberty, pursuit of property, natural rights deemed by God, conservatism. And she talked about Coca-Cola. It was really interesting because when she talked about Coca-Cola, you know, we talked about how Coca-Cola was doing these diversity trainings. Uh, they want you to be less white. Well, she was looking at going, well, Coca-Cola is a progressive company. And the people that work for Coca-Cola are progressive. So why do they feel the need if this sector of humanity is so great, is so virtuous and, and you know, so inclusive? Why would they need to do diversity training and to get rid of racism. Maybe they are racist. Maybe they look at people and go, Oh, it's those Walmart people, those hayseeds. Oh, it's those black people that, you know, because they think people that aren't like them are evil, like conservatives where we think people like Kanye West might have been misguided in the beginning when he said, George W. Bush hates black people. But now that he's turned around, we're like, okay, we can provide forgiveness and redemption because this guy is, he's on, he's on team GOP, not just because he's on team GOP, but because he saw the light. He saw the thing that brought us to the light. He saw conservatism and we saw conservatism and it changed us and it should change them too. So that's kind of where we are on this. But we have to look at a couple things here. We have to look at the fact that we're looking at, it's a push and pull. We have a crap ton of people in the United States who voted for Trump. I don't believe they voted for Biden. Biden was installed. I mean, think of this. Let's, let's go down the list real quick of things that happened throughout 2020 to 2021. Actually, let's go back to 2016. An outsider was elected as president. He was spied on by every facet of the bureaucracy, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, spying on its own citizens, which is illegal. He was investigated the entire time. Robert Mueller and Russia collusion. Then he was impeached. For nothing, for a phone call with Ukraine, which we found out Hunter Biden was hooking up with uh, people in the Ukraine. And then a virus happened from China, which eliminated Hong Kong's protest. Oddly enough, that was very convenient. And then it was exploited because we shut down all the businesses. We killed off your livelihood, killed off your businesses, made children have mental issues to where many of them committed suicide. Andrew Cuomo's putting old people in, in nursing homes so that they can die and spread the coronavirus around. All of this is going on. And then all of a sudden, George Floyd happens and we have this explosion of awareness and we have Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots all over the place. Then they told you, you got to wear a mask everywhere you go. Then they arrested you. If you opened your business, if you decided to give a tattoo or cut someone's hair or open up a restaurant like my buddy Chef Gruel. Then they turn around and 
made you wear more mask. Oh, we got to have more masks. We got to close school down, schools down again because the testing rate was too high. Oh, but then you can't go out and vote. But you could on Election Day. You were given an exemption. Even if you had coronavirus, you were allowed to get in line at the polling place and vote. And so then you can mail your vote in. Wow, that's convenient. And then all of a sudden, dead people voted. And then all of a sudden, they told the poll watchers to go, ah, you can go home. Yeah, it's election night. Go on home. Take a load off. Go sleep. Turn in. Get up in the morning. We'll count them later. We don't need to come up with a decision tonight. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, tons of votes dumped in out of the blue. Oh, but then um, people that were really concerned about the integrity of the vote, they might want to file some lawsuits. Oh, wait a minute. Well, no, we're not going to listen to a single one because you didn't file it early enough and you filed it too late. Oh, and you don't have standing. So you're, you're SOL. Oh, wait a minute. Well, you know, we're all close to certifying and the secretary of state and the attorney general and the governor, we just got to go ahead and certify it. And we're just going to go ahead and push it through. Oh, oh, well, wait a minute. Um, Suddenly we get a new president and he's installed. Um, So then people go, I'm going to march because I don't believe that my, my government cares about my vote because the integrity of the vote is gone. Oh, well, then some agitators, which we talked about in the last podcast, uh, filter their way into the MAGA crew and start breaking down the doors. Next thing you know, a girl is shot and killed by, I guess it's a police officer. And suddenly a guy who is a police officer is considered a casualty of the insurrection, the, uh, the attempted overthrow when he was hit on the head with a fire extinguisher, only he wasn't hit on the head with a fire extinguisher and nothing happened to him. He died later from a stroke, had nothing to do with the insurrection. Oh, but you know what? You decided to send your congressmen and your senators in there to contest the vote. Oh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, we need to go ahead and excommunicate them because they decided to contest the vote, even though uh, when George W. Bush went against John Kerry, they contested the vote in the same way. But we can't have that. Oh, so now Joe Biden is installed. He's decided because of that, we've got threats all over the place. We're going to fortify the Capitol and the White House. We're going to put up fencing, barbed wire, and we're going to have 25,000 troops. They're probably going to sleep in a parking garage. That's okay. We're going to put up a barrier to keep out the terrorist, unlike what we're doing down the border, Hezbollah is coming across with uh, MS-13 uh, Mexican drug gangs with trafficking kids and what have you. We got to tear that wall down. But we're going to do all of this. And then as soon as he's in power, he's going to pass 40 plus executive orders to undo everything. He's going to kill the Keystone Pipeline, which means we're going to need oil from somewhere because gas is going up. Oh, we're going to get it from the Middle East. We're going to have to look at the Syrian pipeline. Oh, well, let's put more troops in Syria, even though we drew down in 2018. Um, Let's go ahead and bomb Syria. (laughs) I mean, let's go ahead and not have a State of the Union address 
He can't even do an interview without his wife stepping in or him completely checking out. I think he's getting on a plane. He told me last he came in to see me last event. And representatives, uh, Shirley Jackson Lee, Al Green, Sylvia Garcia, Lizzie Pinelli, uh, uh, excuse me, Pinell, and uh, what am I doing here? I'm going to lose track here. And uh, uh, Mayor Turner, Judge Hidalgo, uh, thank you all for welcoming us. Taking many actions to revert uh, Trump administration's anti-immigration policy. But today, the Washington Post reports that your administration has plans to open tents at Del Rio, a, a town close to the border. Can you confirm that? Right now, there's thousands of unaccompanied children coming across the border. In Texas, they opened up one, one that was a former uh, one used in the, in the administration, in the last administration. Our hope and expectation is that won't stay open very long, that we'll be able to provide for every kid who comes across the border safely to be housed in a facility that's licensed. And this administration is doing it in a humane way. And that's really important. I mean, we want to make sure that these children are safe, that they get mental health services, they get physical health services, they get education. Yeah, yeah, that was him trying to give an interview um, and trying to speak about the people that were in his, uh, you know, that he wanted to praise. Oh, let's go ahead and have a porculous stimulus economic impact recovery payment given to the people so that we can destroy the currency of the United States and then we have to become part of the global union. We could become the Burbank, California of the United Nations of Davos. Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, is going to have the House voting on the pork-ridden bill in the middle of the night. You have no country. You have the deep state banana republic. It's a, I mean, this is the reason why the, the why they built the fortified barrier in front of the White House in the Capitol with 25,000 troops. And they vetted them if they were, you know, Trump supporters or patriots. They took those guys out. They're controlling reality, framing the opposition as extremists in the minds of the sheep. And it's all being done so that the conversion from constitutional republic to global union oligarchy for the rich elites with their worldview of a socialist utopia can happen. The UN knows a great reset won't go down without a fight. This is all about a power grab. Those who think they can engineer a utopia on behalf of your consent, even though you didn't consent because they know better than you. And, you know, they actually got busted because there was a video that (laughs) look at this. I, I, I kid you not. There was a World Economic Forum post that they deleted and they put it back up with a correction. But they basically said that the lockdowns are great. Yeah, lockdowns are fine. (laughs) I kid you not. I mean, it was... Let's look. watch the video. I'm going to read the video as it plays because you can't watch the video on the Adrian Slade Show. Earth's seismic noise has been the lowest in decades due to the lockdowns. Scientists saw a wave of quiet around 2020 in the world. Ambient noise fell in some cities by 50% as fewer people used transport and factories closed. 
the quiet enabled scientists to record small earthquakes they would usually miss and their and improve their understanding of seismic activity so they can predict larger earthquakes in the future. That's great. They were also record falls in air pollution, clearing city skies from Asia to America. By the late 2020, it had returned to pre-pandemic levels. Carbon emissions were also down 7% last year. But the drop won't slow climate change unless we lock in emissions cuts. How quiet was your area? That's the World Economic Forum. Yeah, they tweeted that out and said something to the effect of how great the lockdowns were. The World Economic Forum was the one that was with John Hopkins University and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to do the Event 201. Event 201 being the pandemic drill. What do you do if a pandemic happens? Well, let's see. That was in October of 2019. Suddenly we get a pandemic happening in December of 2019 coming out of Wuhan, China. And then it comes to the United States And all of a sudden, we get a new president installed, and you see where we're at. So, yeah, do I think that this is a global coup? Yeah, I do. Think about who was spying on President Trump in 2016. Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom, France, Germany, our own government. And then on top of that, We just eliminated this guy, just pulled him out and installed some brain-dead idiot? And all of a sudden, he's doing everything that the last guy did? Because removal of Assad is a part of the plan? Because they can't have have the Middle East operating in a way that, you know, they can't have the Middle East being stabilized. They can't have the Abraham Accords. They have to remove all of that. They have to have chaos in the Middle East. I mean, that's that's remember Sykes-Pico was the agreement that Germany and France and United Kingdom put into place after well, not Germany, after World War I, which carved up the Middle East and gave these fake borders. We see them on the map, we see them on the globe, but they don't, they don't even recognize them because it was the Ottoman Empire, it was the caliphate. And they fought that ever since. So now we're doing regime change with Saddam Hussein, with Bashar al-Assad. We have to get rid of all these people if they're not playing on the same team. We're going to go after the prince in Saudi Arabia because we're going to bring up Khashoggi. Um, But we're going to back the Wahhabist. We're going to back Erdogan. All of that is so that they can be on the same playing field to build the global union. And China is behind the big crux of it. That's why China has so many Belt and Road investments in Africa. So when you start thinking of the Middle East, you got to think of the fact that um, you can't have a global union of nations until you've eliminated the old guard of the Middle East that was put there by the Sykes-Picot Agreement after World War I. That's where, that's where UK and France used the, the power that they had after the win of World War I to break up the Ottoman Empire into nations with borders that the Islamists don't recognize because that was the original, last original caliphate. It encompassed the entire region. And they still don't see those borders. That's why you always hear ISIS and Al-Qaeda. They're flowing through Pakistan to Lebanon to Iraq to Syria to wherever, even Iran. 
So, you know, they don't recognize those borders. It's only recognized by the West. So the attention has always been there. You know, Africa is going to be on board, like I said, because of the Belt and Road deals, and that's going to help them financially. Yeah, they have their little tribes and sects too, but for the most part, those leaders are willing to go on board because financially they are enriched with it. But the Middle Eastern nations, they're rich on their own. Saudi Arabia makes plenty of money off of the oil, you know, so they're not going to, you can't take somebody who is financially secure and energy independent and push them into a global union. That's why we have to have economic lockdowns. That's why we have to have tax rates through the roof with unemployment at high numbers whenever there's a Democrat president in office, basically, because economic depression has to be in play to get you to even consider moving to a new paradigm. We have to be economically crippled and dependent on their oil. And then the UN's got to control their own flow of oil. And that's where the Syrian war, the bombing of Syria by us all the time, comes into play back in a second. This is Adrian Slade. This ought to give you a nice, easy, peaceful feeling from Front Page Magazine. Joe Biden's new assistant secretary of state worked for Islamic terror state that funds Hamas. <laughs> yeah, this is by Daniel Greenfield. I was inspired by the Palestinian Intifada. <laughs> um, that was Haiti Ammer. And this person wrote that a year after 9-11, discussing his work as the national coordinator of the anti-Israel Middle East Justice Network. And Biden has chosen Amir as a deputy assistant secretary of state for Israel and Palestine. Quote, I have news for every Israeli, Amir ranted in one column written after Sheikh Salah Shahada, the head of the Hamas is Ad Din al Qassam brigades, was taken out by an Israeli airstrike. Amr warned that Arabs, quote, now have televisions and they will never, never forget what the Israeli people, the Israeli military and the Israeli democracy have done to the Palestinian children. And there will be thousands who will seek to avenge these brutal murders of innocents. He also threatened Americans that, quote, we too shouldn't be shocked when our military assistance to Israel and our Security Council vetoes that keep on protecting Israel come back to haunt us. The future State Department official was also making these threats less than a year after 9-11. Hedy Emar had accused Israel of ethnic cleansing and coordinated an organization that had accused Israel of apartheid, making his appointment like that of Mar Bidar, an anti-Israeli activist appointed as senior director for intelligence on the NSC, a statement about the Biden administration's hostile relationship with the Jewish state. Amr's job offer from Biden isn't surprising. The Beirut-born Amr, who grew up in Saudi Arabia, had dived into politics as the director of ethnic outreach for Al Gore's failed presidential campaign. And the Biden campaign listed Amr as one of its bundlers who fueled it with cash. Biden's move puts Amir, who had repeatedly advocated for a deal with Hamas and worked closely with the terrorist state that serves as a major backer of Hamas in a key position. But Amir isn't just another foreign policy expert with a history of hostility to Israel. What's exciting about this project is, is that it's a joint project of the Brookings and the Qatar government or the Qatari government. 
Remember, Brookings Institute is basically funded by Qatar, the nation of Qatar. <laughs> and we talked about that on a podcast, gosh, probably about a year or two ago. Haiti Amher had gushed about his old role as the director of the Brookings Doha Center, whose aim, he said, was to inform the American public and American policymakers. In, quote, foreign powers by influence at think tanks, the New York Times had reported that Qatar, an ally of Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood, was the single biggest foreign donor to the Brookings Institute. Quote, there was a no-go zone when it came to criticizing the Qatari government. A visiting fellow at the Brookings Doha Center in Qatar said in 2009, according to the Times, uh, the New York Times, Patty Emmer had been the founding director of the Brookings Doha Center and had led it between 2006 and 2010. A Times report noted that the institution had forbade criticism of Qatar. Lawyers interviewed the paper, uh, interviewed by the paper, suggested that some of the Brookings' work with foreign governments merited, quote, registration as foreign agents. Seems to be a lot of that going around, doesn't it? Brookings has not only done so, or not done so, its key personnel, like Ammer, have gone on to work in important positions in the United States government. Ammer moved back and forth between Brookings and the U.S. government, working for the Brookings Doha and then the State Department and returning to Brookings under the Trump administration before coming back to the State Department under Biden. And remember the State Department with Hillary Clinton, with the CIA, aiding revolutionaries in other countries to rise up in these color revolutions and flip these nations, regime change it. Uh, so we're back to that, gang. <laughs> The military-industrial complex is back. Goodbye, Abraham Accords. Goodbye, Middle East peace that Trump brokered. Biden has been installed, just like he was nominated, right? Because he didn't really win the nomination. They just instantly deemed him one, and then they installed him as president. And now we're going to see foreign policy move back to an anti-Israel, uh, more pro-chaos in the Middle East uh, foreign policy, especially when Biden's getting assistant secretary uh, you know, directors uh, such as ha uh, Hattie Amir. I mean, that's that's your secretary, assistant secretary of state. So when you see me tweet out, State Department is a terrorist organization, that's the reason why. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, Overcast, you can also check out the channel in the streaming store of your Roku streaming device. Get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. Go to the blog. We haven't really updated it recently. We need to. AdrianSladeShow.com. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade, and you can donate. You can pick the amount. And we thank you. God bless. See you next time.